Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. As the price of chemical fertilizers skyrockets driven by high energy prices and Putin's war in Ukraine, more attention is being given to local and regenerative ways of replenishing soil health. Bakashi is the Japanese word for well-fermented organic matter, and it is said to be the most efficient way to replenish soil with organic matter. Bakashi, invented in 1982, has grown up in the shadow of composting. But in this episode, we will hear from Andrew Sincock of Agriton to find out if this fermentation process is about to step out of the shadows and become a star of regenerative farming and green waste management. Andrew, welcome to Zero Fibo. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Andrew, now I talk to people with a farming, waste management and composting backgrounds all the time and hardly any of them have heard of Bokashi. What is it? And am I pronouncing Bokashi the right way? The pronunciation is excellent and it's one, Bokashi is the, the, the usual one that I get. But no, Bokashi, really, really simple. Uh, like you say, the, the actual Japanese definition is really difficult to pinpoint because it's not an exact translation but fermented matter well fermented matter is is probably the closest we can come up with it's a bit of a a slang term if you will in in japanese i believe so it's it's like i said not an exact translation but that's near enough and and very often near enough is is good enough uh certainly for me and my my cornish roots so bakashi bakashi what is it it's a really really good question in a nutshell, it is just quite simply the fermentation of organic matter. But people don't always necessarily understand what's happening with when you say fermentation. What does that mean? Well, fermentation is quite simply the breakdown of organic matter generally into its constituent parts. So you're breaking down the structures of something and the microbes that are doing that create metabolites. Uh, and primary, secondary metabolites, and things like organic acids. So when we think of pickled food, we think of, obviously, everybody goes to pickled eggs, pickled onions, gherkins, those sorts of things. That's a form of fermentation. So what you're doing is you're putting in organic acid, which in this instance is is usually vinegar, um, using that as the fermentation tool. And what we end up with is a pickled onion, pickled egg, whatever it may be, and that's been fermented. The same with other foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, which is really, really popular, kombucha at the moment. All of these fermented foods are starting to see a bit of a comeback in popularity. And it's a very, very similar process. What we're doing is fermenting organic matter so we can use it at a later date. That's all we're doing. We're storing organic matter. We're obviously producing organic matter, food waste, for example, in our homes. We produce it today um, and we might not need to use it in the garden for two or three weeks or even months later. So what we're going to be doing is fermenting that food to preserve the nutrients within until we want to use it at a later date. So when the spring starts to to come, which is um, looking around now and the sun's shining through the window, so it's brilliant. Spring's on its way. We're going to be out in the garden. We're going to be using, you know, we might go to the garden center and buy some compost or something like that for our plants. We can use the bakashi instead. And all we're going to be doing is pickling it, preserving it until we need to use it at a later date. Uh, and that's and that's not a very small nutshell, but it is it's the essence of the fermenting of, of food waste. I'm glad you mentioned kimchi. 
I tried to make it at home and I ended up with a jar full of moldy vegetables after what was quite an involved process. So how do you make bokashi and is it difficult to do? Well, that's the that's the beauty of it, really, is is the way in which Bakashi's now been. So, Professor Higa, you mentioned him in 1982, sort of discovered these effective microorganisms, EM microbes, and these microbes can be used, and they're used in Bakashi in making Bakashi. So, what we're doing is we're adding microorganisms into our food waste, uh, and and of those microorganisms that are added, predominantly. It's the lactic acid bacteria that will dominate, mm -hmm. and these lactic acid bacteria have a really, really low pH. So as long as the food isn't a little bit rotten to start with, we're going to be able to ensure that a good fermentation takes place, and that's where anaerobic environment comes in. So we've got bokashi buckets at home, but when we talk about on-farm bokashi as well, we're using like a plastic sheet or a cover to create that anaerobic environment, and that just ensures that the lactic acid bacteria become the dominant microbe. They drop that pH really, really quickly, so yeah. you're going to be killing a lot of the potential pathogens that may find their way in your food waste. So, you know, we're talking about some things like E. coli, Salmonella. We can yeah. outcompete those microbes to create a safe, usable end product. Uh, and it's through those lactic acid microbes where that fermentation takes place and we get that quality end product. So it's it's the type of microbes that you're using that would probably be the most important part of, of the process, but also creating an environment where those microbes can thrive and they can work as efficiently and as quickly as possible. So it seems that the EM microbes are key to that process. Are these always added to make bokashi or are they naturally occurring on the surfaces of the food waste? Well, there's a bit of both. There's always going to be microbes on every single surface. So yeah. there could well be a case of a lot of the microbes that we're including in EM are already present on your food waste. But the thing is, food waste nowadays, and as we know, food production in general, everything's sprayed with chemicals. Everything's been then sprayed with chlorinated water to kill off any opportunistic pathogens. It's yeah. then been put in the fridge. It's then potentially even been cooked. So every single one of those steps are killing the microbes that are already naturally occurring on the foods that we dig out of the ground. So by the time you come to put it into a bokashi bucket or into a compost system, there are no microbes, good or bad, on that food, generally. Obviously, there's always an exception. So what we've got to do is we've got to introduce the microbes, and that's where EM comes into play. And we're adding the microbes onto the food waste to ensure that the fermentation takes place. If you don't add the EM microbes, you could potentially get a bokashi process going and started and the right sort of microbes present but it's highly unlikely especially with food waste right so we're giving the food mix a super dose of the right types of microbes and these become the dominant microbes in the process and that is how the bokashi process starts yeah absolutely so the microbes have been taken from nature so the, the microbes that Professor Heger sort of were working with at the time uh, in 1982, he knew what they were doing, but he just couldn't get them to work on their own. So we know, for example, phototrophic bacteria, specific phototrophic bacteria will fix nitrogen. So if we could, his, his thought process was if we can get 
loads and loads of phototrophic bacteria into the soil, mm-hmm. we won't need to apply synthetic fertilizer because these microbes will be fixing it from the atmosphere anyway. But what he discovered was it, he could get it to work in the labs, but he couldn't get it to work on field scale and field trials. And that's purely because of a thing called diversity. Microbes need diversity as we as humans need diversity, as, as crops need diversity. The greater the diversity, the better these microorganisms worked. So he decided to bring a few different like-minded microbes together and he ended up with, with EM, which was a mix of about 80 different microbes that can all work together to achieve the same sort of output, the end goal. So whether you're using it as a cleaning product, whether you're using it in animal husbandry within agriculture, or whether you're using it in the Bokashi system, these microbes will all work together to achieve the same sort of desired end result, if you will, end product. And that's where they're so effective. It's the diversity of them and their ability to work together, which is why we see such you know, significant results when we do trials and look at these sorts of things. But for Bokashi, it's a really simple and effective way of, of introducing them and then getting the, the desired end result, which is obviously you know, nutrient-dense, pre-digested food for the soil. Just hang on a sec. Can I go back with just one step? You mentioned there that microbes could be used to clean things. But aren't we all living in this world where we're buying products um, and trying to make products that kill 99.9% of all known bugs? I think is how the advert goes. This is the thing. The power of marketing is is hugely powerful. It really, really is. So yeah. like you say, we are told and we know subconsciously in my the back of my brain somewhere, and it's not something I think about often. Uh, if you see the state of my house, you'll understand why. But <laughs> cleaning, killing 99.9% of bugs is, is the only way in which something can be considered clean. Yeah. Well, the reality of that is we're killing lots of microbes. These, these cleaning products are non-specific so they will kill everything that could potentially be good beneficial bacteria so what we're doing when we sterilize environment we kill the good we kill the bad we kill everything yeah what we're going to suggest as an alternative is instead of killing microbes let's populate the environment with beneficial microbes these effective microorganisms and what we can do there is populate it with the good microbes they can outcompete and ward off any of the potential pathogens so i mentioned the coli and salmonella earlier on we know we've got really really good protection long-term protection from those potential you know pathogens that can cause us an awful lot of harm as humans we can ward them off and keep them away by populating our cleaning surface or cooking surfaces sorry with good beneficial microbes so much so and this is something that is very very sort of new if you will but we're looking at trying to prevent mrsa in hospitals so typically hospitals will use bleach as a cleaning product and they'll clean everything and everything will be disinfectant but mrsa keeps coming back and what's happening there is if we clean 99.9 percent of the surfaces in that hospital and that 0.1% that we didn't clean effectively had MRSA on, what you've effectively done is created a huge breeding ground where there are no other microbes to compete against, and that MRSA can come back and repopulate really, really quickly and have some very significant effects. 
So instead of killing everything and creating an open breeding ground for the next microbe that lands, what we're going to do is populate that same environment with loads and loads of good bugs, good microbes. And what we can do in the long term then is hope that we can ward off for longer periods of time the potentially harmful ones to, to us as humans. This is funny and it'll be music to my 17-year-old daughter's ears who claims she's never ill because she doesn't wash her hands often. Um, <laughs> there the really is something on that. So I grew up on a farm in Cornwall and, and if I drop my sandwich or my pasty, as it may be, onto the floor or onto the work surface or even when you're in the field onto the soil, you know, I always used to look at mum as if to say, oh God, I've dropped it. She goes, oh, don't worry about it. A bit of roughage is good for you. Yeah. And maybe not the roughage so much, but the microbes that we're exposed to at a young age will definitely sort of mould us and shape our, our futures potentially. And, and it could have significant effects on our health. You know, maybe, and I don't know this definitively, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to pretend to know, but why are we having more issues, more allergies? You know, potentially yep. exposure to these microbes at a younger age could, could make a difference in trying to reduce these things. That's absolutely right. And we didn't have vegetable washing lines then. And we ate fruit, veg without washing them and often from the ground. But I think probably at this uh, juncture, we need to have a uh, medical disclaimer. <laughs> Definitely. But we've, we've also <laughs> digressed somewhat. From... Well, we have digressed, but an interesting digression nonetheless. But getting back to Bakeshi, you have mentioned that it's an anaerobic process. And sadly, much of our food waste is still destined for and disposed in landfill which is also an anaerobic process but it also generates methane which as our listeners know is a potent greenhouse gas does bakashi produce methane in the same way and is this a problem for the process no and that's that's sort of a common misconception because we've got what we call ad plants so anaerobic digestion that's a form of, of breakdown just mm -hmm. as traditional hot composting is and and what's happening in the landfill is a lot of these these the food waste is starting to break down before it gets to landfill you know we all know how quickly a banana skin turns black and starts sort of breaking down yeah so what's happening then is you're putting an aerobic breakdown so aerobic microbes that are present on that banana you're then burying into an anaerobic environment and what we see is is putrefaction uh, so that's the release of those those gases that, that are causing the problem. With an AD plant, we're trying to achieve the same thing. We're actually trying to, to, to achieve a putrefa putrefaction of the, the food waste. But what we're able to do in an AD plant is capture those gases released. Yeah. And we can use those gases then to generate electricity or, or other forms of energy. So that's that's not a bad thing. With Bokashi and, and the fermentation that goes on, and it, it is a fermentation rather than anaerobic digestion, we are effectively pickling the food, the food waste, if you will. So we're not losing anything. There are no losses when you start pickling food. You know, that's why pickling has been such a, a successful way of preserving foods for the winter months for, for hundreds of years. So it's something that we've done for a long time, and we know that by doing so, preserves the nutrients within the food, preserves the palatability of that food for a lot longer. And it's exactly the same when so, you talk about Bokashi. So I like that, following that rather nice analogy of the pickled onion, where we have in an AD plant, we have the food waste petrifying. Um, but with Bokashi, we end up with a slightly jaded, 
banana skin coming out of the process i wouldn't even say slightly jaded and i i keep referring back to this pickled onion because it is such a good you know everybody knows what a pickled onion looks like yeah the difference between a raw onion and a pickled onion is the difference between the food waste going into a bakashi bucket and the food waste coming out so still very obviously a banana skin but as you know with a pickled onion it's going to be a lot softer to bite into not that we're going to be biting into our, our bakashi, don't get me wrong. But the microbes, when you apply it onto the soil, those earthworms, they will be. They will be biting into it. And they're much rather, go, they much prefer, sorry, biting into a fermented food as opposed to a raw one. That's probably something that the, the urban worm that you had on sort of last month, I believe it was, she was yeah. talking about how the worms love bakashi. And it's because it's been pre-digested and it's easy for them to consume and obviously it's got loads and loads of goodies in as well and much more palatable for worms to munch through too from a home composting perspective we can buy or make a bakashi bin to make pickled food waste which we then use as a fertilizer but what do we do with it because as gardeners and growers we are very educated and socialized into thinking that compost and fertilizers are this homogenous brown flaky fluffy product but it doesn't sound like bokashi is that is like that and and are these barriers to use um and are people going to be used to and accepting of adding pickled food waste to their gardens and fields that's a a really good point and something that we come up against and and have the conversation a lot is we have been conditioned if you will or or call it clever marketing just as killing 99.9 percent of of microbes is is conditioned into us we're used to working with compost so we expect any organic fertilizer that we use to look smell feel just like compost but actually when you think about the process that's taken place with with traditional composting it's a very, very different end product, and that takes a little bit of getting your head around. It's not going to be that same fibrous, dark colour. It's not going to be quite light and fluffy like you are when you buy the, the bags of compost from the garden centre. It's going to be a little bit sticky. It's going to look a little bit messy. But what we need to, to make people aware of is that that's a good thing because of the microbes that have been added and the liquid that's been produced and released from these within the food that means it's full of nutrients you know if you're buying compost from a garden center it's black and fluffy and looks a little bit like soil but when you think about the process that achieved that compost they would have taken say 100 tons of of organic matter and they would have turned it and turned it they would have generated an awful lot of heat and that 100 tons would have turned into maybe 40 tons of, of compost. Yeah. What's happened to the 60 tons? Where's that gone? And we know that, that traditional composting, you know, you're going to lose uh, 60% of its total mass, which if you've got 100 tons of, of organic matter, that's going to equate to about 30 tons of carbon. Or if you were to convert it to CO2, 111 tons of co2 wow so you're actually releasing more co2 than you had organic matter to start with which is a significant impact um huge the second part of that question is how do you use it do you have to dig it into the garden or can you put bokashi on the top of the soil 
So the bouquet, you've got options, and, and this is why it's quite nice to use. You can either top dress, so that would be literally just applying onto the soil, and a lot of people would, would take it out of their bokashi buckets that they've got in their kitchens, and they would apply it around stumps, around plants, directly on top of the soil. And over a period of time, and I would say sort of two to three weeks, that would start to be broken down and taken into the soil by earthworms, beetles, spiders, nematodes, all of the, the, the soil food web that, that we all talk about. Yeah. Those microbes will take it into the soil. Or alternatively, you can absolutely bury it. So if you're potting plants or moving things around within the garden and, and you dig a hole to put something in, at the bottom of that hole, you can absolutely apply the bokashi, uh, the bokashi ferment, if you will, then the end product into that hole before you then put a little bit of soil on top of it just to protect the roots and keep the roots off of it directly. But then the roots will be able to work their way down and access those nutrients. The one thing that you do have to be careful with is because the bokashi ferment that you produce is quite potent it's you know it's full of good nutrients full of microorganisms and it can be quite acidic you've got to protect young roots in particular i would always sort of put it next to any plants that you're planting or onto the surface and that will just allow the microbes the earthworms the living organisms within the soil to neutralize the ph first and foremost um, but then also sort of integrate it down with creating humus. You know, we, we talk about worm castings as being some of the best fertilizer you can have. You know, if the worms are eating the bokashi food waste, what comes out the back of the worm is going to be as good a fertilizer as you can provide. So that's the best way of getting the best out of the bokashi when you use it in the garden. So, Andrew, what can be bokashied, if that is a word and if I can use it? Uh, I like bakashied as a word. I use bakashied, bakashying. Uh, they're all good as far as I'm concerned. What can go in? Everything. Quite literally, there are no exceptions. Anything that's of organic origin, so anything that's that's natural, can go into and can be included in bakashi. So it's cooked meats, uncooked meats, fish, bones, dairy. Um, the only the only sort of thing I'd say on the bones is sort of smaller bones are going to be okay because they're broken down quite quickly larger bones are going to just take an awfully long time to break down so i would say fish bones absolutely no problem whatsoever even poultry bones would be okay but something like a, a lamb chop or even a pork chop is probably just going to be a bit too much and it's going to take too long to break down it could be included but it's just not going to be that broken down when you come to use it sort of two, three, four weeks later. And is the process conforming with animal byproducts? I think it's past 100, where material has to be over a certain temperature for a certain period of time. Does this conform or does it mean that raw meat can't go into the process or is there some sort of workaround? So when it comes to, to the breakdown of, of any organic matter, there's, there's two sort of standards, if you will. There's PAS pass 100 and yeah. PAS pass 110, 110. So one's for aerobic processes, the other is for anaerobic. Obviously with aerobic, what we're trying to do is you're trying to generate that heat and that heat will kill the microorganisms that are potentially present. So you talk about 
uncooked or cooked meats, things yeah. like E. coli, salmonella, um, they will be killed when the temperature goes above sort of 70 degrees for a period of time. That's why cooking things kills microbes. That's, that's yeah. what's happening in, in restaurants and kitchens all across the world. With the anaerobic process, the acidity of Bokashi will kill those pathogens but it is a slightly different sort of um, certificate if you will and there is a little bit of gray area because the PAS 110 was designed and made specifically for anaerobic digestion it, it doesn't quite fall within but they haven't got another certificate to attach to it so they're happy for it to be used as long as the pH reduction that that drop in pH has been achieved we know that we've killed the pathogens that are present. We can now understand and see how the process at the local scale works and see how we can digest a few kilos, but how can Pakashi be scaled up to process hundreds of tonnes, and is it possible to do so? There is a lot of work being done on, on that exact thing at the moment. So there's, there's a few projects that I'd love to be able to mention and, and go into loads of detail about the, the things that they're doing. Um, but it's just not enough time in the day to, to do that. But on farm Bakashi, we're doing a thousand ton heaps fairly regularly. So we know that we can scale these things up on farm, but obviously on farms, they have the machinery to handle that sort of quantity. It's a little bit more tricky when you're talking about food waste from households. Yeah. The ideal solution, I mean, the, the ideal solution is to not produce food waste in the first place. But we appreciate that that's not going to happen very easily. So what can we do with the food waste? Well, you can have your own Bakashi bucket uh, in your own kitchen and process your own food waste. Simple. You know, nobody else has to get involved. But for the people, you know, flats, for example, that, that potentially have a Bakashi bucket but don't have a garden to, to dispose of that ferment or to use that ferment in the garden, they've got to be able to do something with it. So what the councils are currently doing are collecting food waste and taking it to an AD plant where yep. it's then processed through an anaerobic digester. Well, what we're currently trialling with Reading Climate Action Group which is part of the, the Reading County Council, as well as Reading University working in partnership with Aberystwyth University, is looking at how we can scale it up on you know, that sort of large scale where we're actually processing a whole town's worth of food waste. You know, you're talking about hundreds of tons collected a week of food waste. Yeah. All of the machinery needed to process that is already at these AD plants, but the storage of that food waste in a Bakashi heap as opposed to through an AD plant is what we currently don't have the space for. So it's looking at different sites where they've got the space to store the food waste for a period of time. So on farm is brilliant because farmers have the space and corners of fields in concrete pads. We've got the space on farm. So what I would suggest the easiest and simplest way of doing it would be collecting the food waste from the town working with a local farmer who's got the room to process the food waste. So you'll be collecting the food waste, taking it to the farm, where the farmer's got all the machinery needed yep. to process this. He can then use that as an organic fertilizer on his fields to grow the next crop of, of food, whether it's onions or wheat or barley or milk or dairy, whatever it may be. The farmer's currently buying in 
lots and lots of synthetic fertilizer. And you referred to that at the beginning, the price of which is, has gone through the roof. Yeah. If he can use some organic matter, food waste, you know, animal manure, whatever it may be, anything of organic origin could be put into this Bakashi heap. He's got his own sort of fertilizer factory where he can then use that on his field. So it's just trying to reduce that sort of that chain, if you will, between the consumer and the farmer. And if we can do that both ends, so we're buying local, we're then returning that food waste that we may generate back to our local farms, you know, we're reducing huge number of, of food miles at both ends of the food chain. So other than some machinery to move around the food and some polythene sheeting to seal the pile, is there any other infrastructure required? Does it need a, to be on concrete pads, for example? Do we need to get drainage in there? So this is, the, there's obviously the farming rules for water, something that's been brought in, in in agriculture at the moment, where farmers are being discouraged from keeping large heaps of organic manures in the same spot for long periods of time. Yeah. And that's to do with the leaching of nutrients and the pollution potentially of watercourses. So I understand that completely. But if you're, if you know that that field's going to be used for growing spuds, for example, in a couple of weeks' time, then there's no issues with leaving it in that field for a month, two months, or even up to 12 months. So yeah. we could look at lots of little, smaller, temporary field heaps. Or if you're looking at long-term storage where it's going to be an ongoing thing, then absolutely you'd want to make sure that it was on a concrete pad just so that if there's any leaching of nutrients so if for example a lorry load of, of food waste gets arrives today and it's raining obviously the water that's coming down from the from the sky above is going to wash away some of the nutrients that are potentially within that food waste before we're able to process it we'd want to make sure that we can catch those nutrients and use them you know we're trying to reduce the losses and the best way of doing that is to make sure that all nutrients that potentially come out are then caught and can be used. And the flip side of that is you make sure that it doesn't end up in the in the water course um, or into drinking water and having a negative effect on on any sort of wildlife natural habitats. So it's in the farmer's interest and it's in everybody's interest to keep hold of those nutrients. So a concrete pad and a permanent sort of area that you can use yeah. is going to be beneficial because one, it's going to be set up, but two, you can maximize all of the nutrients that are going into and out of that area. Is there an optimal amount of time to make Bokashi at scale? Does it need to reside in a fermentation heap for a long period of time before it's ready for use? So for, for the food waste side of things, sort of two weeks you would have had the, a significant time. So that would have allowed the microbes, the lactic acid bacteria to dominate, to drop that pH and to work their way through that food waste. So it could be used from as little as two weeks after that heap was, was made or that Bokashi bucket was filled. Yeah. So it can be used really, really quickly. But one thing to note is on farm where they're using straw, for bedding for example or there's potentially wood chip or sawdust it yeah. contains an awful lot more carbon and to try and break down that carbon takes longer so with the the, the on-farm bakashi heaps what we're looking at doing is manipulating the environment ever so slightly and what we're doing is actually maintaining a neutral ph 
And that allows the different microbes to be able to break down the lignin that, that could be in the straw and the wood chip. And we would suggest that takes a minimum of eight weeks. Right. So depending on what you're processing depends on the time. But the key with both is the longer you leave it, the better it is. It's a bit like a fine wine in that respect that, you know, last year's grapes from 2021 aren't going to be as good as the, the bottles of wine or, or the same with whiskey that have been fermented over a number of years. Uh, the microbes are exactly the same. They will continue to break down and ferment the foods, continually breaking down piece by piece the, the, the food waste that we're putting into these heaps. Um, this is yeah. really interesting because Bakashi is a brilliant example of how we can harness the power of nature to overcome environmental problems. However, I am conscious of time and I would like our listeners to understand a little bit more about how Andrew got involved in Japanese fermentation and the role of Agriton, who seem to be leaders in this area. So personally, um, I grew up on a family farm in, in Cornwall. It was my grandparents' farm, beef, dairy, arable farm, mixed farming. And it was left to my uncle. So it was never mine to, to take over or, or something that I could really get involved with. And, and to be honest with you, at that time, all I was interested in was, was sport, playing football. And I was trying to do everything I could to, to stay away from agriculture. Yeah. So I ended up in America, played football for a couple of years and, and then came back to get, a, as my mum called it, a real job. And I just fell into agriculture. It was what I knew, even though I, I was trying to stay away from it. Uh, you, you pick up things, you learn things. All my yeah. friends were, were farmers. So it was it drew me back in. And I ended up working on a number of different farms in a number of different positions. We had organic farms, you had dairy farms, sheep farms. I did a little bit of everything to try and experience as much as I could with the aim of eventually coming into the sort of the business side of it as a, as a maybe a dairy farm consultant. That was always the plan. Yeah. When I was, was working on a farm and it was a really, really intensive dairy farm, and, and I just, something just didn't quite sit right with me, if I'm honest with you. I, I, the cows, the animal welfare was exceptional, but it still didn't quite feel right. The cows were in all year round. And I just thought, well, I think we need to be working with nature a little bit more. And, and that's where I sort of just sort of became aware of my impact, what I could do, different methods of farming. And I stumbled across Agriton. Agriton were advertising and, and looking for a, a technical salesperson, if you will. So it was focusing predominantly on, on the dairy. Yeah. And I looked at the product range and looked through the, the profile of, of all the different products and what their benefits were. And the one that jumped out was Bakashi. Yeah. That was something that I instantly recognized and thought, hang on a minute, that's really quite clever. And it's, it's so simple and I think that's the key is because it's simple, it's, it's possible, it's effective, it's easily done. I thought that there really is something on, in that. And I've spent the last three or so years almost exclusively talking about Bokashi yeah. and trying to promote it. And, and obviously with the nitrogen price increasing, with the environmental sort of aspects increasing, you know, COP26 we had, all of these things are making composting and, and Bokashi sexy. And if and something's sexy, it'll be done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and are you seeing a growing interest in it? Or is it sort of, you know, the weirdos like me who are just uh, <laughs> so fascinated by it? Or is, it, is, it, is the momentum picking up? 
it's to be honest with you, Bakashi is huge globally. Yeah. There are countries that are doing it, you know, Asia in particular. They've been doing Bakashi for a long time before we even had a name for it, Bakashi. Uh, you know, and we'd sort of put down a set of principles and we started working with EM. The Japanese were practicing Bakashi long before us. You know, you talk about uh, a Korean natural farming, which is the use of, of indigenous microorganisms. So they were cultivating and using their own microbes for a long time. It's just in. I'm going to call it more of the modern world, the Western countries, where we'd much rather sell you some synthetic fertilizer and some chemicals and pesticides to grow your crops rather than get our hands a bit dirty and, and think about recycling some food waste and organic matter in a form and an effective manner that can, can provide the nutrients needed to feed the soil. You know, big businesses has changed the landscape drastically. And it's only now that trying to to reduce carbon footprint is is you know and i i use the quotation mark sexy that people are into oh hang on a minute what can i do can i have a bakashi heap in my garden can i have a bakashi bucket in my kitchen um, yeah. and even on farm how can i recycle nutrients and and if we can close the loop and when i talk about the loop i mean the, the soil crop animal waste that cycle where everything that's grown should be ending up back in the soil to grow the next crop if we can close that loop and create that cycle the soil is going to look after itself and it's going to grow the crops that we need to consume so it's that's what excites me that's what i saw when i looked at bakashi uh, three or four years ago i could see the potential and i could see the change that was coming so the, the, the stars sort of aligned for me and, and for bakashi and and from our point of view you know when i first started I would make two or three Bakashi heaps on farm a year. I'm now having to say, look, I'm really sorry, I cannot come and make another Bakashi heap because I've got too many <laughs> to make. Yeah. And it's the same with the Bakashi buckets. You know, the Bakashi buckets in the in the kitchens that people are using. Yeah, we're selling more and more and supplying more and more to our distributors all the time, which is is great news. You know, we're having conversations with bigger and bigger garden centers or bigger and bigger resellers of products, you know, some, some everyday household names or, or department stores. And they're also interested in it. They see yeah. a growing movement. They see the trends and they realize, well, hang on a minute. If we saw triple figure growth in sales last year, they want a piece of that pie, if you will. Um, but fr from our point of view is anything that we can do to help reduce that carbon footprint is going to be a good thing, which is why it's as much about the information that we provide as, as a company as it is the products. And if I can, can indulge myself a little bit, there's a quote that, that I sort of stumbled across and, and sort of put together recently was for change to happen, you need people, but for people to change, they need education. And I feel that's what's so great about what, what you're doing and the conversation we're having now is hopefully one or two people will go away and think, hang on a minute, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Let's have a look at it. Let's go and see what I can find out and hopefully and, make a change. And that is the perfect segue. Uh, we're, nearly, <laughs> we're nearly at the end of the podcast, but that is the perfect segue. If you were going to ask people to do just one thing to help tackle climate change, what would it be? What's the message you want to get out there, Andrew? For, for me, it would be take responsibility. There's a lot of yeah. things, a lot of choices that you as a consumer, as a household, as a person can make, you know, whether it's where do I source my food? What food do I source? Do I need to go on holiday to Australia 
and and take that long haul flight am i happy to go across on the ferry and and explore the south of france instead or or cornwall or scotland you know i went to isle of sky last year and loved it there are decisions that we can make at home at a household level that can have a significant impact now if one person does it that change or that difference is going to be small but if you were to throw a pebble into a lake every single water molecule will move yeah one little pebble will move the whole lake and and it's the same with humans if we can all do a little bit we can make a big difference so it would be absolutely take responsibility learn listen research do your homework and make the best decisions for the environment i love that go and throw a pebble in a lake i love the metaphor absolutely love it and finally before we go andrew we have this thing called the first mile planet save a hall of fame where we ask guests to leave something or someone in our hall of fame and what would you leave in our hall of fame i i thought about this and i thought shall i go left field and i thought <laughs> no i can't it's not often i get this chance so it would absolutely be a bakashi bucket and if we can recycle any of the food waste in the future uh, through the Bakashi process, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing okay. That is fantastic. Thank you. Finally, before we go, please could you tell our listeners how they find Agriton and or find you? So Agriton is part of a, a quite a large group across Europe. Uh, and we're all trying to do the same thing and achieve the same sort of end result. So just searching for Agriton, A-G-R-I, T-O-N, um, into, into your web browser, into your, your you know, search provider, if you will. Um, you'll come up, find us, and you can look through all the information that we've got. You know, it's part of a bigger movement. You know, we're not just the only people talking about Bakashi. There are lots of people doing it, and that's good news. You know, I would encourage you to go and look at anybody that's talking about Bakashi and, and find the information, and don't be afraid to ask. You know, there's lots of things. It's new. It's a bit different. Um, and the only way in which we can learn and understand it is by asking questions. So whether it's on social media or through our website, don't be afraid to get in touch. Give us a call. Ask us the questions. If you're unfortunate, you'll you'll get me on the phone. If you're fortunate, yeah. find somebody else. Uh, but, you know, we're all we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Uh, Brilliant. That's the key point. Excellent. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and such an interesting area and you've been an amazing guest. Thank you very much. Not a problem. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Bruce Bradley and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet incredible people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O.